Hello, friends, fans, listeners, and anybody else that might have stumbled upon this podcast. I'm TJ Zuppi, he's Zach Meisel, and this is The Selby Is, wait for it, Godcast. What is up, brother? Welcome back for another week of this thing. Happy Cactus League. I'm so excited. I really am. I, I love spring training, and then I also hate spring training. <laughs> But the things that are so great about spring training are so good. I love it. I don't know if it's just the endless optimism or the feeling that anything is possible. But there's just something about spring training because the results don't matter. So all of the negative stuff you can just kind of write off as "Ah, spring training. Who cares? He's working on something. That's my favorite. He's working on something out there. That's clearly why he gave up five runs in two-thirds of an inning. He must have just been throwing the fastball a lot. But then all the good stuff, I kind of like this, I'm intrigued, I'm excited. You can lift all those things up as the possibility, like I said, are endless. So I think that's why I love spring training. In 30 different camps, there is reason for optimism. And it might not be, hey, we're going to win a World Series this year, but it might be, hey, we've got some young guys we're excited to see, and this is the time when we can see them. Um, So... Yeah, I mean, I tell people this every spring. I think I say it on this podcast every spring when we're recording, you know, while we're sitting in the stands and you can't hear what we're saying because they're blasting the Macarena. But uh, I, I recommend, highly recommend, maybe not this year if, if you don't want to deal with the COVID restrictions, but at some point, take a trip to Arizona or even to Florida. But Arizona is so great because everything's in such close proximity and just go catch a few spring training games it's you'll never feel more relaxed and yeah for sure you know you know you're not stressing about what's happening in the game you know you're you you see someone play who then a couple years later you'll remember hey i remember when they were wearing number 87 <laughs> and they came in in the eighth inning yeah. of that one spring game i was at <laughs> in um, a uniform that didn't match anybody else <laughs> <laughs> So it's it's just it's like a stress-free environment and it's 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 sunshine and it's baseball and it just it's a nice little reminder of you know winter is just about in the rear view and and you have the best part of your year coming up ahead. So yeah, spring training I think brings just happiness to pretty much everybody. Family guy has on this before this feeling that everything will be okay at the end of the episode there are no consequences <laughs> this is not going to carry over you don't have to worry about some some show altering thing happening no by the end everything will be fine and you'll be moving on to the next week it's, it's like the last few seasons of the office where there's just no consequences to anything that happens <laughs> something something <laughs> zany you're just you're just setting these things up for the jokes dwight shoots a gun in the freaking <laughs> office <laughs> And it doesn't matter. You don't have to worry about what kind of long-term ramifications this is going to have on your favorite characters because this is the end of the show. And by this time, the writers are just trying to mix in every joke they might have forgotten by season two. It's just jam it all in here in the final season. That's what spring training is like. There's no consequences. <laughs> there's there's nothing to be long-term uh, really concerned about because you can just write off all of the, the negative aspects that we've spent all off-season talking about. And that's, that's part of why I like it because there is if... Okay, let's say... I'm trying to just pick somebody random. Let's say Zach Plesak has a rough inning. Does it really matter? No, you just kind of write it off. You just say, eh, it doesn't really matter. 
really like what this guy's going to do this year, having strong feelings about what he might be, cap might be capable of. But if he goes out there and strikes out the side, then it just, you just puff up, out your chest a little bit more and your prognostication seems a little bit more close to reality. So there's no consequences. That's why I love spring training. Well, I mean, Brian Shaw is the perfect example. His ERA every year in spring is 16. Um, I think I was, I was looking up his stats and he had given up like 59 hits in 33 innings in spring training in his five years with Cleveland, something like that, which is just a ridiculous number, especially because in some of those outings, he's facing like 19-year-olds. Um, he's always been terrible in spring, and then he he would come to the regular season and it, it would be fine. And so, it, yeah, that's no consequences. Now, this spring, if he does that, I you know, I don't <laughs> – they're not just looking at statistics. They're obviously looking at yeah. arm strength and – your delivery and all that stuff. But, you know, if he does a typical Brian Shaw spring, I don't know how that's going to end up. But <laughs> for the most part, you're right. No consequences. And and as a fan, it's just, you know, it's not going to be the most entertaining baseball because you're not going to be on the edge of your seat. And, you know, you're not going to be screaming. Although, I will say there are people who actually do give umpires quite a bit of grief during these games. I never yeah, it's usually that, but... the writers up the third baseline <laughs> that are down in the stands for the bottom half of the inning that just cannot wait to get onto the field <laughs> to talk to the manager. So, my God, call strike three. We're not going to extra innings there, Blue. How about we just get off the field and let's go because the 5 o'clock special at the bar is calling me. That's <laughs> usually who you're hearing from. I feel uh, personally attacked here. <laughs> Panda Express will still be there when you're done, I promise. Before we shift gears a little bit and remind everybody where they can catch the podcast. Oh, wait, no, let's do that now. Apple Podcasts, Google Stitcher, Spotify. Thank you to those that support the podcast over at Anchor. And find us on Twitter at TJZoopy, at Zach Meisel, at Selby is Godcast. And the Instagram following is just booming since we launched that thing. That's just it's been crazy. Are we influencers yet? We're close, like. Kendall Jenner, look out. Um, let's give a few shout-outs to some five-star reviewers over at Apple Podcasts. They're just pouring in because I think word has spread that we have offered free beers to anyone who leaves us a five-star review, which, you know, we'll deal with that later. But, uh, you know, this is great. Uh, a five-star review from Guy Who Hates the Ads, which I don't think that's much of an issue with this podcast, but uh, he writes, yeah, it's good. I mean, what more testimonial do you need than that? Uh, Hill yeah, why, mingling? Why words when you could just say, why, why say many word when few do trick? Uh, living in Pennsylvania, it's hard to find good Indians talk. These guys do a great job. Highly recommend. Thank you, sir or ma'am. Or uh, JJ Sims 07, BR Bud 3344. Uh, and I got to give a shout out to Sixth City who says, I somehow like this podcast even more than I like baseball, which seems like either the like the ultimate compliment to us or I total slap I don't know. in the face of baseball or, or to themselves. <laughs> like, uh, I, I don't know. I think you would need to like baseball if you listen to this podcast, but to each their own. So thanks for the five star reviews. We really do. Appreciate it. We appreciate all the feedback we've gotten so far um, on what we had discussed last podcast. We'll certainly be announcing something something in the near future, so stay tuned for that. But yeah, we're trying to make this thing grow. We want to be able to give as much analysis and feedback and bullshit banter as we can. 
mm-hmm. as as our audience craves. So, yes, but if the podcast lasts more than five hours per week, be sure to call a doctor. You wrote about this week, or recently, was it this week? I lost track of time. We have discussed this many times this week. Wait, can I just say something? Sure. I mean, you know this. Terry Francona never knows what day of the week it is. Yes. We're recording this February 28th. Spring training has been going on for about 10 days or so. Terry Francona has asked what day of the week it is at least six times. So, he's in mid-season form. Can't they just plaster that right on the computer? I mean, he could just look down. He's doing a Zoom call. He can't look down and see the date. It's right at the bottom. Well, the date is one thing, but, you know, trying to determine if it's Thursday or Saturday or Tuesday, I mean, it's they're all the same. Fair enough. We've discussed Bieber, the possibility of an extension, many times this offseason. We're not going to spend a ton of time talking about it, but you wrote about it, and you put some numbers to it. I think it's... Uh, I think some of those... The numbers that you came up with make some sense but how did you what what did you come up with for a possible Bieber extension and how did you arrive at those numbers so we can say here this could legitimately could happen and I know because I've seen my mentions even though I don't see them as frequently as I used to um, that everybody is saying oh it'll never happen Dolan will just trade them hope you like your new 10-year $20 contract Bieber uh, look, I, I, I get it. The skepticism, I understand. Um, but come on, can we get some more creativity with the jokes? Uh, so uh, Bieber wants it. The team wants it. It's just going to depend on what makes sense for the player. Um, and we'll see if those conversations take place because when they do, and they have in the past with Kipnis and Brantley and Gomes and Kluber and Ramirez and many others. Yeah, that's the thing. It's not like this is... Right, a foreign uh, topic here that they never arrive at a decision to extend somebody. It's I think just, people... You're talking about a Francisco Lindor didn't happen because you're talking yeah. about a generational star. Maybe Bieber is that, but I think there's more motivation on his side to sign a deal than there ever would have been with Lindor. Yeah, and, and you... I think people are misconstruing the fact that, you know, the Lindor thing didn't work out, and obviously he declined that well, seven-year, hundred-million-dollar deal after the 2016 season, but I think people are trying to compare the two. Like I had people say like Bauer made 40 million Bieber's even better. There's no way they're going to give him that. And it's like, that's not what the, the, that's totally different apples to asparagus. I mean, it's, they have done this type of deal for decades. It started with Sandy Alomar and Carlos Baerga and those guys. So, um, it's, it's going to be interesting to see what Bieber wants because the history of this is not like you're not talking about some eight year, $150 million deal. You know, Blake Snell is a decent comparison because he won the Cy Young Award in the same part of his career. I think both guys, it was like their second full season. Blake Snell signed five years, 50 million. Chris Sale was pretty similar after his second full year. He signed five for 32 and then with, or five for something like that. It ended up being seven for 59 after some club options were exercised. So we're not talking, you know, I think people expect this to be $220 million. Like this is not that. This is your first, the, the Indians have leverage here because he's got four more years before he can be a free agent. 
and his signing bonus out of college was 420 grand. So we're not talking about Francisco Lindor, whose signing bonus was 2.9 million, and Lindor was the face of New Balance, and he didn't need the cash. Right. He could bet on himself and cash in later. So I, I thought, okay, well, if we use like Snell as the baseline, five for 50, you know, that was a few years ago, so prices always go up, you know, so you're, you're gonna be a little bit north of that. I don't know how much north though. So I, I, you know, it's really difficult to say. And so with Bieber, I said, you know, probably looking at somewhere, I mean, I would guess five or six years, you'd buy out one to two years of his free agency. I don't think Bieber would want to go much further than that. If, if, yeah. if you buy out one year, Bieber can hit free agency at 30. I think that's reasonable. You can still get a massive extension or massive free agent contract at that age. Um, so if you're talking five years, I think you're looking at, I don't know, 65, 75 tops maybe. And if it's six years, tack on another 15 to 20 million beyond that, somewhere in that. I mean, it's a pretty wide range. It's, it's hard to predict. But the other thing to remember is, and we've talked about this, the Indians have zero dollars on the books past 2021. Now, they'll have they'll probably exercise Jose Ramirez's club option, which is worth I think eleven million or twelve million. And you have decisions to make on Roberto Perez, Cesar Hernandez. I mean, your payroll's not going to be zero, uh, but you don't technically don't owe anyone anything. So, I mean, if you're ever going to sign someone to a long-term extension, it would be now when you have the absolute most financial flexibility you could possibly have, and Bieber is the dreams candidate to sign to that sort of deal. So it makes too much sense not to happen, especially since Bieber has, you know, he was enthusiastic about wanting these conversations to take place. So we'll see what happens. Um, but I, I think somewhere, you know, it would be five or six years, 65 to 85 million. And it also seems more realistic that a pitcher could enter that trying to get that big contract when you're nearing the age of 30 it's more realistic that you could have laid out a case that you're still really good and going to carry that for several years whereas a position player maybe there are more red flags maybe it's more difficult to get a deal when you you pass the other side of 30 um, particularly for a guy like Bieber who projects to, to continue to carry this skill for quite a while and maybe be one of the best pitchers in baseball for a long time. The only thing standing in his way, which you don't know for sure, so knock on some wood, the injury bug. But that's a big thing for pitchers, too. Uh, a position player is not going to be as worried about a career crippling or uh, an injury that's going to take him off the map for a full year, a year plus, maybe not even get back to himself for a couple of years. It's just not as common as you see for pitchers. Now, I know Bieber... Some in, might make the case with his delivery, with the shorter arm motion, perhaps that's something that limits his uh, his risk for being an injury down the road. But it is something that I think every pitcher has to consider. So we've discussed that Lindor, maybe it didn't make sense because he just he could bet on himself every single year and know he could cash in an arbitration and still be ready to make that big free agent signing for a pitcher. The stability of knowing what you're going to make knowing that it could all go south at any moment. <laughs> I think there's some some validity there where it makes more sense for a pitcher to sign one of those long-term contracts as opposed to a position player. And it also cuts against anybody that might be trying to make a case that you're going to see some guaranteed 10 to 14 
your contract like I just saw. You don't see that as much for pitchers because there is just so much more volatility in the sort of profession that they have and that they're throwing the ball a hundred plus times every single start and a horse like Bieber you're expecting to go carry the load for 200 innings in a season a lot more risk and I think that's why it makes more sense for Bieber to be to have a certain appetite to sign a deal like that and why I think it is more real realistic there for it to happen because everybody there comes to the table acknowledging some risk the Indians are taking some by not knowing whether he's going to stay healthy for the length of this deal but on the same side, yeah, Bieber is risking maybe leaving some money on the table. But I don't know. This this seems to be that, that sort of perfect marriage that you, you look for. And for the Indians, it's absolutely something that they should be, and I'm sure are, desiring uh, to happen at some point pitchers, before the spring ends. Pitchers are ticking time bombs. Look at Mike Clevenger. I mean, that's kind of a perfect example where he he had said... I remember he told me about a year ago he liked to bet on himself um, because of his training regimen and he thought he had all this figured out with his delivery and um, he was pointing to some of the older pitchers who got paid like Verlander and Scherzer and um, Hyunjin Ryu in Toronto got four years 80 million and Clevenger said like he wanted to bet on himself like I think he was interested in having a dialogue but you know, he wanted to kind of take things year by year. He, he said, he's like, my mindset is to bet on myself and push myself to be the very best pitcher in the game. So he was dreaming of that big payday. And now he's recovering from his second Tommy John surgery. And all of a sudden, you know, I mean, he signed a little two-year backloaded deal with San Diego um, to cover the remaining time he had under their control and then he'll hit free agency. You don't know how you're going to bounce back from a second Tommy John surgery. Yeah. So there's tons of risk involved. And in the grand scheme of things, we're talking about tens of millions of dollars. And you know, these players who have $20 million in the bank, even if you have that instead of a hundred million dollars, like I think you're still going to be pretty set. Um, so, you know, it is, it, it's interesting though. And I just, you know, did, did any of, is there a, terms of a deal that makes sense to you for both sides is that 65 to 85 yeah. million dollar range no, I th sensible i think that's perfect and like i told you via text and appreciate you adding it in i think it's important that bieber protects himself a bit by um, maybe it's in the options ballooning them a bit by putting cy young finishes or some sort of stipulation there that you are controlling some aspect of that with your ability it's now it's not going to shift you up you know, five to ten million dollars in that deal, but could you inflate an option, you know, from the fifteen million dollar range to an eighteen million dollar range? Yeah, maybe just based on your performance. And and I think that will be, if if a deal like this happens, I would be shocked if we don't see something like that. I mean, we saw it for Corey Kluber. We see it for more guys than just that. But some performance based. Um, control over the contract I think will be important but even something I'm more curious about and and this is going to be an, a long-term experiment with a number of guys on the Indians staff I think as I mentioned the shorter arm path that a number of these Indians pitchers have uh, adapted into their deliveries we see it with Bieber we see it with Plesak um, there's some discussion about Savali and and I, some of that is because I think they're trying to to, to develop the, the proper 
spin axis and being able to mirror that and making the deliveries and the pitches look as similar as possible for as long as possible. I think there's there's some degree of that, and maybe a large degree of that. I'm not somebody that's sitting down and analyzing these pitchers, so I'm just going off of what other smart people are talking about. But something else I'm very curious to see is there has been discussion that perhaps that's something that limits injury. And if that's something that is true, is this a a test case with guys like Bieber and Plesak and if you know Savali if that's something that does limit injuries could that perhaps not only shift how pitchers make changes in their deliveries in the future but also if you're somebody that adapts something like this maybe you have less risk to worry about and you're less willing to sign one of those long-term contracts it's like something that benefits you now as a team like the Indians but maybe down the road doesn't because now you're like, oh no I've lost that bit of leverage uh, over over pitchers not knowing whether or not they're going to get injured and if this is something that is a development that helps pitchers stay healthy now you've hurt yourself down the road but I, I think that's a fascinating development too something that's going to be worth watching uh, over several years and I think back to I mean coaches didn't know any better we didn't know any better as, as youngsters I think back of all of the the young kids that would throw with their motion less exaggerated and coaches that would say, no, you need to whip your arm way around and it needs to be a circular motion and then come over the top. And that's how you're going to, that's how you're going to create velocity and having nightmare flashbacks to eighth grade right now. If you just bring the arm straight back and come through with this shorter motion, you're going to get hurt. And now major league teams are adapting that. <laughs> it's more proof that we don't know shit. And I'm, I can't wait to see five years from now what we don't know today. That's that. What you just described is why I would come into a game and all the moms would stand up and sing Wild Thing because I had a coach who made me change my throwing motion to what you just described, and I hated it. And it like it felt like it added a couple unnecessary steps, and then I couldn't throw strikes. And I vividly remember in the middle of an outing. I'm just saying, fuck this, and going back to my old ways and just mowing them down after that and saying, yeah, I'm not listening to you, sir. This is sir. why this is why you went on to coach a Little League championship, because of things like this. This is That doesn't happen just by accident, okay? Keep it's... it simple, stupid, remember? <laughs> hey, That's just, like just tell every your, Little League coach says. Just tell your pitchers to go be athletic and try to throw hard. <laughs> I feel like, let's not overthink it. Just, uh... Just be athletic and throw as hard as you can. And let's see what happens. And then let somebody way smarter. speak for themselves. <laughs> let somebody way smarter make drastic changes to the kid's delivery once he gets somewhere that perhaps knows what they're doing. Uh, we'll see. But uh, I'm curious. I'm, I think there's so much motivation there that it's probably going too far to say I would be shocked if they don't reach a deal because who knows. But I also feel like God, there's so much motivation there that... I almost would be a little bit surprised if we don't get some sort of announcement on that. And hey, would it be the worst thing in the world to give the fan base, throw them a bone, like, and have some positive momentum? And also, I don't know, do you want like a, a building block for the future? I know we're talking about a deal that would only tack on a year or two to his stay. But also, like, maybe then fans can buy someone's jersey <laughs> and not have to worry about them yeah. getting traded a year maybe, or two. Although, maybe then they would be trading Bieber in the, the fourth year instead of the second year. So right. The problem is you're 
gonna have to just get a new jersey next year anyway when there's a new name and design but yeah we'll hold off on that because maybe we'll have a discussion down the road about that but i am curious to see what uniforms they wear in 2021 because the spring training attire um unsurprisingly is a lot of cleveland but not a lot of indians and what are we going to see what we're seeing in spring training is the road blue cleveland uniforms used primarily as their spring training uniform now um, and you said the spring gear looks good anyway, so. Yeah, it always does. And I, it's probably like that for all teams. It's like the one thing Major League Baseball does right is they got some cool spring gear usually. <laughs> How can we make sure we eliminate all the fun by the time the regular season starts? Or how can we make sure that nobody can watch the games? I mean, that's a different conversation. So, so we're into 2021. The chaos of 2020, in some regard, is behind us. Not to say that there won't be chaos on the horizon and things that are unforeseen, but I think guys come into this season probably with a little less anxiety in terms of knowing what to expect, knowing how to prepare yourself, what between at-bats is going to look like. We saw so many players speak out about the limiting video use between even at-bats and how much that impacted someone. Uh, I think J.D. Martinez spoke out about that and a contributing factor why they're just not as good as you typically see because they're so used to being able to make adjustments between at-bats and little tweaks that they might see within a pitcher, within their delivery, things they might be tipping on their pitches. All of those, that was all gone. So you saw some players not know maybe how to adjust to that, and then you got off to a bad start, and then you probably started panicking a little bit, something Oscar Mercado talked about and you wrote about as well. You headed to 2021, and that's there's not as much of that unknown. There's still going to be some, and you're still going to have to go through protocols and be careful. It's a little bit more predictable now for a player, and I'm curious... We, we can't know this for sure, and it's going to be a lot of anecdotal evidence, but I am curious to see how much that, that bit of known instability is going to, to help players compared to last year when you had, yes, some small sample sizes, but also just all of that weighing on a player's shoulder constantly. I can't imagine having to go through what a lot of players went through, and then on top of that, feeling like you have to be pressured into having success almost immediately. There's, there's two things in play here, and let's, let's limit this conversation to the Cleveland focus. Okay, so first of all, there's the, as you touched on, the known factor of like, I know what I have to deal with. I know what the circumstances are, and I've done it before. So if it's weird that I can't like have access to all my teammates or all my coaches whenever I need... Um, at least I've, I've done that before and I don't have to like make that adjustment. Like I know, I, I know how to cope with the circumstances to get through a 60 game season. I can handle it for 162. But the other point and the bigger point is there's a light at the end of the tunnel this time. I think last year there was so much uncertainty, not only about the protocols, but like, you know, you're walking around you're like, uh, like what happens if there's an outbreak here? I mean, the Marlins and... The, the Cardinals, it's incredible that they rebounded the way they did. And that was a 60-game season where they had to maneuver the schedule a lot. And, like, uh, this year, I think there's a little bit of understanding of, like, from the Indians' standpoint, they didn't have any positive tests during the season. They had the one protocol breach, but other than that, like, once the season began, everything was fine. 
And so they know what it takes to be safe and to keep everybody healthy. And if you don't have to have that lingering fear in the back of your head, I think that's pretty helpful. Because um, you're right, like, you know, Mercado wasn't the only one who was in a really negative headspace. I mean, Jake Bowers talked about how he was just miserable and he felt like, you know, he'd be driving to the alternate site and would get stuck at four red lights in a row and would just be like, woe is me. Like, why is this happening? Um, I think it was really difficult. And also, you know, if you're at the alternate site, it's like you're going through the motions and you're just, it's just, it's extended spring training, which spring training is long enough as it is. And you're wondering, maybe I get called up, maybe I don't, but I'm not actually playing in games. Am I even prepared to be called up? Like it's, I think it was just, it was helpful in that it was better than sitting at home twiddling your thumbs, but it was a pretty miserable experience for a lot of people. And I think... Think about for guys that are 23, 24 years old, you're thinking, I'm a young player. Then you have a whole year of your career wiped off the map. If you're not playing, if you're a minor leaguer or someone like Bowers who's on the bubble, the next thing you come back and now you're kind of old. <laughs> you're supposed to be in the middle of your prime now. That, that yeah. to me is crazy too. It's one thing for the really young, like Bo Naylor, who got to go and, you know, he got to be around guys who have big league experience and face them. And so, no, it's not like ideal. You'd rather have a minor league season, but you got something out of it. But I don't think it was as... I think it was different for everybody. Um, but I, I just think knowing that there will be a minor league season is so huge. And that you'll be able, no matter what you're doing, you know, the thing with Oscar Mercado too is in a normal season, you'd send him down. He'd face AAA pitching for a few weeks. You hope that he hits well, gets that confidence back, maybe works with some coaches to tweak your swing a little bit or look at some video. And then he'd be back up in the majors and it would all be fine. And that wasn't, you weren't able to do that last season. So for so many reasons, everybody's more comfortable with what's going on. You know, you're dealing with the protocols and with the staggered schedules from day one of spring training. So it's not like that's just randomly slapping you in the face in July when you start. Um, so, I, and again, like the end of the tunnel, like uh, there is hope across the league that by the second half of the season, Whoever wants to be vaccinated will be vaccinated. Fan, more and more fans will be allowed in the ballpark. Um, and you'll have a sense of normalcy, finally. You know, God forbid, maybe we'll be allowed in the freaking clubhouse. That would be, oh, I can't even tell you how exciting that would be. So I, I think all of that has people in a much better uh, frame of mind than everybody was eight months ago. And I would think that that would make players just you know, you're at a better starting point, you know, you're, you're more used to things. And we've talked about in baseball, like so much of this is it's routine oriented. And when you hate your routine and your routine is so different from normal and, you know, you can't do the things that you've done for years and years and years that make you the player you are, it's tough to adjust to. And so you saw some uncharacteristic seasons from certain people. Yeah. And I don't think that's how you excuse uh, an entire season Mercado, for instance, we, we kind of dug in on this. In some ways, you do want to be fair and respectful for everything that he went through, but I don't think that can also excuse everything either. But it makes it really tough to know where the truth is there. Is he someone that is capable of doing what they did in 2019? Or is 2020 
some uh, alarming red flags for what his career is. Is it someone that you can count on to be a building block for the years to come? You don't know. And I think you know so much of, of this game has become known, things that we can tangibly sink our teeth into. We can look at a guy, even relievers. Okay, that's fluky and small sample sizes and facing... You know, different guys on different days. But there are certain things that you can look at. I can see his velocity. I can see his swinging strike rate. There are, are certain predictable factors there. You know, how are guys con making contact? Are they making contact off of him? I can go beyond just the surface level ERA, and we, we find comfort in the things that we can predict. But none of what, what happened last year is entirely predictable. Some truth is probably there, but then again, I, I, I don't know. It be, I think it becomes easier to kind of do what we were talking about with spring training is take the positive statistics, guys that made jumps in their career and feel like those are more tangible, but m more so excuse guys that didn't have their typical sort of seasons in 2020. But is is that really what happened? Probably not. But I do think we will get some at least more predictability and something that... I can trust a little bit more in 2021 thanks to that being more of a known factor for players. And now, who knows what will happen in... You know, I, I don't know what the end of this season is going to look like, but let's say in 2022 they go back to something that looks like what normal baseball was in 2019. Is there going to be a whole other adjustment period? And let's not forget the difference that just having fans in the ballparks will, will make. I mean, I, I said it like last year, like... It never felt real, you know. The it, the crowd noise was cool for a couple days, and then I think Sandy Almar even said this: like it was the same exact pitch and the same exact. It was like playing the same song over and over and over. And even if you, like, you might not even know what the song is, but you know every word, you know how it goes because you hear it every single day. Like that's, you know, I always listen to a certain playlist when I write, and. I couldn't tell you off the top of my head like what the names of the songs are on the playlist, but when they come on, I know every single beat, I know every single note. Like it's just because you're like in a trance. That happened last year with the fan noise, the fake noise. It was like it was the same, you know, the same sound every single time anything happened. And it uh, by the end of the season, it was like you, you couldn't trick yourself anymore. <laughs> and I think you probably hear you could probably almost dissect all of the parts of the noise you'll hear the same guy make the same noise somewhere in the background <laughs> hidden somewhere in there just the steady exactly <sighs> yeah i remember the last time i heard that noise it was a 2-2 count on me 3 days ago <laughs> yeah uh, yeah I, I i can't imagine we all have had to deal with that in some regard and i would imagine you know everybody that um, one year ago or a little bit less than a year ago was having to work from home and deal with screaming kids and you're probably all better at that now i mean screaming kids will always be something that is very difficult to to deal with but you're probably better at that than you were you know six months ago so probably no different than for the players so we talked about a number of younger guys somebody that is is off the radar somewhat i, I guess you could say off the radar that i'm really intrigued by is uh is owen miller and it led me to think... Who? <laughs> exactly. It led me to think about you know, who are those guys that aren't necessarily discussed every single day, but you, you find yourself 
casually checking in to see what they're doing. I think you can do that almost in every single spring training. But someone like Owen Miller, who came over in the, the Clevenger trade, is fascinating to me because most of the reports you read on him are pretty similar in that he's not a sexy player, but the numbers have been solid in the minor leagues. He's not a guy that's probably going to come up here and hit 30 bombs, but looks like the bat will play at the major league level. Whether or not it's enough to be more than a bench player, we aren't sure, but that floor seems pretty steady. It's someone that the Zips projection system ranked in the top 100 prospects because he doesn't have this gigantic ceiling, but he definitely looks like somebody that will play some sort of role in the major leagues. And because he's projectable all over the infield, he comes up, can play shortstop some, can probably play then third and second base and probably more positions than that. It's not someone that will be discussed a lot. It's probably not somebody that will ever be a four or five win player, but I keep finding myself checking in to see what is he doing because I find that profile somewhat intriguing. And then, of course, I check in and see what did he do yesterday? He homered in the intra squad game. Dun, dun, dun. That's all I need to see. Pencil that guy in. Forget Cesar Hernandez. I found a new second baseman for the Indians, and it's Owen Miller. But who is that guy? Seriously, that is a little bit off the radar, but you are. For whatever, for one reason or another, sort of intrigued by. Okay, well, so first of all, Owen Miller is like the perfect utility guy candidate, and a guy who I say utility guy, but like he should, he could start several days per week. Um, really good contact hitter, and he's he's really intriguing. That's a good one. And Lord knows they have enough middle infielders to create a small village. The but, one thing that plays against him is I think he's like a year away from needing to be on the 40s, so you don't need to force that. You don't need to roster him. Yeah, I mean, I think Yu Chang is ahead of him at the moment. I mean, shit, Mike Freeman's probably ahead of him right now. Um, but you're talking about, I mean, I think that's probably 2022, maybe a leading candidate to be to fill that role. Um, and, and maybe even... Yeah, I don't, I, I don't rule the out thing seeing that's hard, this year. Well, but the thing that's hard for guys like that is, it's like, okay, well, like you, at some point you'd like to see him compete for every day at bats. I mean, he's been productive in an everyday role in the minors. Um, but it's like, okay, well, I don't know that he's going to beat out Tyler Freeman or Gabriel Arias or Andres Jimenez or, and then you got the next wave coming with Rocchio and Bracho. And I mean, it's just, they have so many people. It's crazy. Um, all right. You want my off-the-radar guy? I do. I don't know how off-the-radar this is, but Sam Hentges. It's who... not off your radar because you've talked him up many times on this podcast. So anybody that listens with any regularity already knows. And apparently Jake Bowers knows, too, because he lives in his nightmares. Well, and that's the thing is players and coaches have raved about him so far in spring training. And it's crazy. I mean, this guy in 2019, his last minor league season... 2-13 with a 5-11 ERA at Akron. Um, had a strikeout per inning, gave up 10.5 hits per nine, a ton of walks. You know, you'd look at the numbers and you'd be like, what, that, this guy, really? He's like 6'8". He is a lefty. He throws really hard now. That velocity keeps creeping up into like the mid to upper 90s. He's revamped his breaking ball, his secondary stuff. And even when he had that miserable season at Akron, the takeaway from those evaluators in the organization who just watched him was that this guy has the makings, just needs to be fine-tuned. And uh, he turned heads at the alternate site, and then, I mean, this spring, it, it, 
it's so interesting because they don't have that lefty in the bullpen. So I've said, and I think I've written this, like, in your wildest dreams, he's Andrew Miller 2.0. Because he's this lefty who, if you can just focus on one off-speed pitch to pair with your fastball, and if you can make that off-speed pitch really good, he, he's a dominant left-handed reliever then. I mean, he's got to throw strikes too. Like there, there are several steps that he needs to, to complete to get to where you'd hope he gets to. But he's, he's fascinating, and he's still a starter for now. Um, but everybody has said, like, this is a guy who maybe if he pitches well wherever he starts, Akron or Columbus, at the beginning of the year, and you need another reliever down the stretch if you're contending... Boy, what a weapon he could be. I mean, when you talk up the, the profile, a guy that throws hard has probably elite extension if you're a guy that, that, that is that tall, so it even jumps out of your hand even more. But struggles with command? It sounds like a short burn reliever if I've ever heard. I mean, most relievers are guys that struggled to throw strikes perhaps as starters, so you throw that into a a one-inning situation, and you kind of limit the exposure, but you take advantage of all the things that make them special. And then you have players within your organization raving about how tough of an at-bat that is. Now, I also read a quote from somebody. They were saying Nick Whitgren is a tough at-bat. <laughs> like, okay, <laughs> maybe we take all these things with a grain of salt, but somehow Nick Whitgren has found a way to get results without elite stuff and ability. Uh, but, man, that, that does sound like a really intriguing guy that not a lot of people know right now, but is going to be maybe midway through this season fans in the are watching the minor leagues are saying, why isn't this guy up here? I mean, you have Ali Perez, you have Kyle Nelson, you have Anthony Ghost. None of these are ideal options as a lefty, and you don't even necessarily need a lefty in the bullpen. Or you could even turn to Logan Allen or Scott Moss, yeah. but you know, Hentges is uh, I think his name will be on their radar. As soon as this summer. Yeah, and thanks to, to you, listeners of this podcast, he's already there. Another thing I'm really fascinated by this spring, because it it goes beyond results. The spring training results really don't mean shit. You're looking at so much more than just what a guy's ERA is. So in these, these short samples and needing to make a determination on a number of starters, how you make a, a, a choice between Allen, who they really love all of the... The, the changes he made to his body by apparently cutting out donuts. I don't know if I'm that strong. Uh, and then you have Quantrill, who we in this podcast have, have talked up a, a lot, but only one of those guys more than likely is going to be in the rotation. How do you make a choice between those two? And I don't mean to, to, to short him, but Adam Plutko's in this conversation too because he's out of options. Is that somebody that gets an opportunity just because he's out of options or... Does he settle into some sort of semi-longman bullpen role? I don't know that that's ideally the best use of a roster spot, but are they going to want to cut him loose and lose some depth? I don't know. But even more so between Allen and Quantrill, how you pick between those two guys that the organization is glowing about and raving about, I can't wait to see how they make that choice. Yeah, I, I think the order at the moment would be Quantrill... Allen Plutko. Um, they're going to stretch them all out and then they're going to reach a point. You know, guys are at two, three innings the first, I don't know, 10 days to two weeks of spring training. So you can piggyback. Like for the spring opener, it's Quantrill and then McKenzie. Um, but you reach a point then when guys are stretched out to five innings or so when you can't do that. So at that point, 
you're looking at, I don't know, maybe like this third week of March. That's when they'll make a determination on, okay, who are we moving to the bullpen? Who, who do we not need to keep pushing, extending out to 80, 90 pitches? Um, you know, what's weird is you can make a decision and maybe it'll be Quantrill to start. Undoubtedly, all these guys will start games this year because McKenzie's not throwing 180 innings. I don't think Quantrill's throwing 180 innings. Uh, you know, Savali is a guy who, I mean, he's, he might throw 250. This guy comes, whether it was summer camp last year, spring training this year, he's ready to go immediately. Um, you know, Bieber can probably throw 200 if you need him. And I think Plesak is so athletic and has conditioned himself to be able to make 30-some starts. So those three you don't have to worry about. But the back two, I think it's kind of going to be not a revolving door, but you know, are you really going to push McKenzie to, to throw 110 pitches? Probably not. And so you might want someone who can provide some length to pitch out of your bullpen, whether that's Plucko or Allen or Moss. And you might want, you're going to want someone stretched out so that if McKenzie hits his innings limit, if, if Quantrill is showing signs of fatigue come July or August or something, you want you know, the, you want guys to, to be ready, you know, so my guess is Quantrill gets that fifth spot. My guess is Logan Allen starts in AAA and that Plucko goes to the bullpen. Um, because especially like in on like April 8th, I don't think you need Tristan McKenzie throwing a hundred pitches. So if McKenzie throws 75 or 80 and gets you through five innings, maybe stop him there and go to your long man or, you know, it depends on who's been used out of your bullpen. But it, you, you want, I think, more than any other year, especially because Terry Francona usually is averse to just carrying a long reliever just for the hell of it. But this year, I think it's a little more important. And especially with, you've got one extra roster spot, and you've got, you know, with COVID, like, you never know, you know, what if your starter has symptoms or has was around someone who had the virus and so they're they gotta sit out for a few days or something like i think it's always good to have just that insurance policy on your roster if you can yeah no i mean it's a good problem to have for sure but i i just find it more fascinating because you get a little peek behind the curtain on their decision making now sometimes it's an easy thing to pick out that guy doesn't have options that guy does that's why they picked that guy but when you have guys that are all on equal footing sometimes you learn maybe what an organization might value a little bit more or, or gain some insight on who they maybe like a bit more. Um, I think that's what's fun about some of these spring training battles. Sometimes they're easy to pick apart, but oftentimes you can get some sort of, of glimpse in on the decision-making process, process and see what they value and what they don't. And I, I think you can make a, a similar argument and someone that becomes fun, fun probably to... to uh, descriptive of a word, but at least semi-interesting to see what they saw in Harold Ramirez and why they made that choice and why they cut Who? Jordan Humphrey loose. I mean, Jordan Humphreys is somebody that they apparently liked and claimed and then they cut him loose when they had the ability to get Harold Ramirez? What? Well, they have so many damn starting pitchers on the 40-man roster, it's out of control. Um, we, Harold like, Ramirez... we think this guy's really good, but we don't need him. We just cut this guy <laughs> loose. Uh, Harold Ramirez is interesting. He's got speed. 
really good contact hitter. Um, when you see him, you don't think of it, this guy's going to be a burner. Tell me about Harold Ramirez and why I should care. Uh, I don't know if you should care. I mean, they like him in the corners. He's played all three outfield spots, but they prefer him in left or right. Um, I don't think he's going to be like an opening day guy. Terry Francona even kind of went out of his way to say that he has minor league options, so he could be a nice depth piece. Um, so I, yeah, I mean, it's like, I mean, they have so many guys. But if you know, if if Ben Gamble and Billy Hamilton don't make the opening day roster, and instead of going to Columbus, they get an opportunity with some other team, at least you still have Harold Ramirez, right? Uh, so, I think the fact that he yeah. can play all three outfield spots is intriguing. Yeah, I mean, so can Gamble and so but, can Daniel Johnson. But he doesn't strike out a ton, and they they really love those contact bats. It looks like one of those guys, because if you actually look at the exit velocity, the average exit velocity is nothing spectacular, but he has some of those outliers where you see 113 miles per hour off the bat in there, and you think, well, if that's in there, isn't there more in there than what you're you're demonstrating? And also, he hits the ball... On the ground, a shit ton. It seems like you you take a a flyer on a guy like this because he makes a lot of contact, but he hits it in the wrong direction. He has the ability to hit the ball hard, but he doesn't always do it. Some tweak, some, some tweaks there in the profile, and maybe you unlock something more. But if it doesn't work out, then it doesn't work out, and you lost Jordan Humphreys, I guess. So he looks like a guy that's still at the age of 26 because of the way this game has evolved and. You can make tweaks with guys later in their career. Has probably some ceiling that you're interested to see if he can scratch. But if he can't, then, okay, you have a guy that can play all three outfield spots. Yeah, and you're, just to note, because some people will look at his stats and say, oh, this guy's terrible, look at his 2020 numbers. He had COVID, you know, the Marlins, (laughs) everybody had COVID. And had a pretty bad hamstring injury. So he was battling some stuff last season. And also 11 plate appearances. Okay. Oh, that's it? <laughs> I mean, two years ago with Miami, he put up a 93 WRC+. Plus. And look at his minor league action. numbers. Every year. Yeah. Hitting like 330. Stop hitting the ball on the ground. Stop doing that. Um, but it is also important to Do more of that 113 exit, mile, exit velocity yeah. mile per hour stuff. Do that. You know, they want Josh Naylor to be in right field. Um, He's going, the tentative plan is for him to spend all spring there. So that would tell you Eddie Rosario's in left. It tells you that it's either Bowers or Bradley at first. It tells you Daniel Johnson's probably ticketed to the minors. And so there isn't really a ton of flexibility if that's the case, if, if things stay that way. You know, maybe Daniel Johnson has an incredible spring and proves... I mean, I think he's deserving to make the opening of their roster anyway, and I'd rather see him than Bowers or Bradley. But if he just forces their hand, then maybe Naylor goes to first, and you know, you're talking about a different configuration. But as it stands, you know, Luplo's going to make this team to hit lefties, and so you're probably looking at just one more outfielder between Gamel, Hamilton, Johnson, Harold Ramirez. You mean designated hitter Billy Hamilton? That guy? <laughs> so we should clarify, like. Because I had people ask me, like, why is Billy Hamilton starting at DH? Tito's just trolling everybody. They know he can play defense very well. <laughs> they don't so. that's that. Uh, yeah, who's playing DH does that? Nobody cares. Yeah. You can subscribe, Apple Podcasts, Google Stitcher, Spotify. You can find us over at Anchor. Help support the podcast, those that do. We appreciate you greatly. And uh, as Zach said, we might have some, some additional things 
in regard to the podcast to announce in coming weeks. So stay tuned to that. Follow us at TJ Zuppi, at Zach Meisel, at Selbius Godcast on Twitter, and find us on Instagram, though many of you already have. And uh, come have fun with us there. Any final thoughts, any parting words for you this week? Yeah. I, I, so over on The Athletic, we've been doing this name change contest, and everyone could submit what they want the new name <laughs> to be. I'm so thrilled by it. I, I hate this topic and this sort of thing. Um, but I know it's important to a lot of people. And, you know, <laughs> we were blown away by how many people actually voted in this. You know, we did like a March Madness style bracket. And we're down to the final two. And I think I can reveal the final two because by the time this podcast gets released, it'll be published on the site. It's Guardians versus Commodores. That's who everyone has voted for. Um, I was surprised Spiders didn't make it. But I wanted to say I have finally decided what I think the name should be. And I know I have joked about the walleye a lot. I think I said at one point I really liked Cleveland Lake Effect, which you get the CLE. and um, I don't... I, that one... I do like that one. Um, in, in the... In the grand scheme, like, I don't give a shit what it is. It doesn't matter to me. I'm probably going to forget to not say Indians for several months once they make the change. Um, or Cleveland Baseball Club or whatever we've been saying. I am putting my full support behind the Cleveland Hazards. I think it is the best option that I've heard. It is a tribute to Commodore Oliver Hazard Perry. I'd be okay with Commodores, but everybody would shorten it to Commies, and that's kind of weird. I think you can make some cool logo with, like, I don't know, lightning striking, some choppy waves, and a boat, like, getting ready to capsize. I don't know. There's something there. lights on the back of your car. Yeah. I think Hazards is cool, because it's, like, kind of aggressive, but it's not over the top. It doesn't sound too minor league-ish, and it's unique. And so I'm going with hazards. Jump aboard. Come on. Get on the hazards bandwagon. Let's go. I told you I I want something bird related. Bird bird team names always work for me. So something bird related or I I I, I hate that I like the color names, but you can't go with blue socks. I mean, no. white socks and red socks. You can't do more socks. And blues I think Cleveland Blues sounds cool, but then it sounds more like blues is the type of music. And as we've learned, enough with the music analogies. Fuck. No no guitars, <laughs> no rock music, nothing like that. And I think that was pretty clear in even your voting. <laughs> the, the rocks, rocks being defeated very soundly. Uh, get that out of here. Anyone that suggests... Means rocks in the term as in rock and roll music, has no no finger on the pulse of actual fans and their desires. <laughs> it seems like anytime there's any sort of music tie-in, fans are like, oh my god, here we go again, and I can't blame them. If I see another guitar, I'm going to go Jeff Jarrett on Mae Young. How about that <laughs> reference? We are out of here. See ya. The Selvius Godcast, featuring Zach Meisel and TJ Zuppi, is presented by our supporters at Anchor. To help support the podcast, visit anchor.fm slash Godcast.
You can subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you like what you hear, we sure hope you do, be sure to leave us a five-star review. And if you have suggestions, drop us a DM on Twitter at Godcast. Thanks for listening.